This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Excellent. Uh, Thank you to the guys leading us in prayer. I have my amen to all of that. We've had a little bit of a shift around here and we're ready to go again. Um, That passage from uh, Matthew 12 finishes with these lines. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And at the moment, I've been speaking about hope. And what I want to talk about today is how you and I as believers, as those who have a living hope, as those who Christ in us is the hope of glory, how do we make that hope visible? Hope, by definition, of course, is something that uh, that is to do with the unseen. Uh, it actually says, doesn't it, I think, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, nobody hopes for what they've already seen. You hope for what you haven't yet seen. Uh, hoping for what you've already seen is like, is like having a, a real, I, th- I trust you got the Christmas presents you desired, uh, but it's like having a, a special present that you're really hoping for. And, um, uh, you know, that, 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 that there's this box under the tree and, and it comes out and I don't know what it might be that you were, that, what, that, what, maybe let, let's say it's some Star Wars Lego um, that might hit a particular uh, demographic of our audience. You particularly want this Star Wars Lego and it comes out, you think, I hope it is, I hope it is. And you open the box and there it is, it's Star Wars Lego. And you go, well, I hope it's Star Wars Lego. No, you don't hope anymore. You know, you've seen it. And of course, hope is about what we haven't yet seen. But as believers, our hope is what we haven't seen, but what we are certain of. Because effectively, our hope is Jesus Christ. It's the eternal life that we will receive from Jesus that we already experience right now. It's his return and his appearing in the world, which we know is guaranteed because he's already sent his spirit into us. It's all that God has promised because we know not that we've seen the fulfillment of every promise, but because he who promised is faithful. So hope is something not seen, but certain, not yet revealed, but nevertheless, the evidence of that hope, the hope that we have within us is discernible. It is visible. And I want to talk this morning about how, if you like, we increase the visibility of the hope we have how we increase the visibility of what it looks like to live in this world with hope. Because the world needs hope right now. This world needs hope right now. And Jesus is the ultimate hope that we can share with anyone. Ultimately, our our hope is for eternal life, the fullness of our salvation, for Christ's return and the new creation he will bring with him. Um, It's for a time and a place where there is no more sickness or death or tears. That's our hope. Christ in you. Colossians 1, 27 says, we looked at this last week, Christ in you, the hope of 
glory. That's how certain we are. We're as certain of our hope as we are of the fact that we know Jesus and we have found him to be a transforming presence in our life. We found him to be life beyond anything that we could live naturally. And you know, when we make hope visible, when we make the Christ that's in us visible to the world around us, when our lives and our speech and our countenance and our response and our thought patterns are strikingly different from the world around us, we're making that hope visible. Because if it's true, that this servant of the Lord that Matthew quotes from Isaiah, the nations will put their hope in him. Then the nations need to see something to put their hope in. Matthew here is quoting from Isaiah 42, and it's the first of four what are called servant songs in the book of Isaiah. The most famous one is in Isaiah 52 and 53, where we get the lines like, he was bruised for our iniquity and uh, the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. Um, That beautiful and um, moving portrayal, written hundreds of years before the events it describes of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But Matthew here, with this uh, uh, passage, he is, um, he's been quite fluid with the translation of Isaiah. In fact, scholars think he's borrowed from at least three or four different translations uh, that he would have had access to um, and then translated some of it himself as well. And if you were to read in your Bibles, you'd find that the last line of that um, quotation in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, um, isn't in him the nations will hope, but it's the coastlands will wait for his law or something along those lines. And Matthew's chosen a translation that that gives quite a different reading. It's interesting, these things. It helps us, these layers of different translations of different ways of interpretation, particularly when they're in the hands of the New Testament writers, because they carry an authority then that can help us understand the word of God. They they build a picture of, you know, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. It's such a different language and, and emerges from minds that think very differently to you and I. And so getting these different kind of textures and layers of interpretation and translation can really help us get down to what, what is God saying? Matthew, like many of the other New Testament writers, is quite fluid with how he quotes the Old Testament, mixing translations, changing tenses. That's a favourite of the New Testament writers and um, uh, changing the emphasis. Not so that they can make the scripture say what they want to say, but to do what the Holy Spirit inside them is inspiring them to do, which is to make this clear connection with the words of the prophets and the promises of God and the person Jesus Christ. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to unpack and reveal um, and allow the light of Scripture (coughs) to break out and reveal something of Jesus. And they were starting from a place of knowing Jesus. He was their kind of guiding light when it came to interpreting the Scripture. Jesus says, doesn't he, on the road to Emmaus to the disciples, all of the Scriptures are about me. And so they're not paying fast and loose with the scriptures. What they're doing is they're helping us see the riches and the depths of the scripture. However, the book of Isaiah in your Bible does use the phrase, in him the nations will hope. But you'll find it in Isaiah 10, sorry, 11, 11, verse 10, chapter 11, verse 10. 
And there it is also the concluding line or the commentary after a song. But this isn't one of the servant songs. The servant songs are um, the servant is, is, is the suffering servant. And the contrast is made between Israel, the nation who should be a faithful servant of the Lord and their failure in that role. But God's promise that a servant will come and the servant will come and he will represent the people and he will become the head of a new people. Just as Israel, before it was a nation, Israel was a person, Jacob. So this servant will become the the embodiment and the leader of <coughs> the people of God. And that makes perfect sense to us when we know and understand that, of course, that whether it's the suffering servant of the servant songs or here in Isaiah 11, it's the branch and the root of Jesse. It's this kingly messianic language. It's the king who will come as David's greater son and will rule uh, an, an eternal kingdom. That's who's being sung about in chapter 11. And it's interesting, the contrast between these songs, because in chapter 11, it's this swashbuckling king who's going to come and rule the nations and liberate them and bring his peace. But in, Ma in Isaiah 42 that Matthew quotes, it's this gentle servant who comes and is meek and tender and caring. And I find it really interesting that Matthew takes this phrase in that context. Um, that the nations will put their hope in him. The nations will hope in his name. It's easy to see how the nations might hope in the king who comes and transforms everything. Who's so clearly successful in his mission of bringing righteousness, peace and joy into the earth. But Matthew is showing us that the nations will also hope in this quieter Jesus, the one who doesn't lift his voice in the streets. It doesn't mean he doesn't talk, but it means he's not drawing attention to himself, who is careful in his mission to minister to those whose lives are broken, like a damaged uh, like, uh, and, and damaged like a bruised reed and, and the near lifeless ones who are like a, a flickering candle ready to go out. He comes in gentleness. And Matthew's uh, context in which he quotes Isaiah here. And Matthew, above all the other gospel writers, is very, very keen to show us the connection between the promises of the prophets and the ministry of Jesus. And the context here is that Jesus has just had a big confrontation with the, the Pharisees. And he withdraws from the public eye. He withdraws from the place of, of confrontation and argument. And but people still find him and they come and they bring the sick to them. And it says he healed all of them. But he said, don't don't go telling everyone where I am. He's not lifting his voice and crying aloud in the street doesn't mean the mission has stopped. It means there are times in the mission and ministry of Jesus where it's done quietly, where it's done compassionately, where it's done without confrontation. He'll confront those that need confronting, but he won't confront a, a, a bruised reed or a flickering wick. He comes with tenderness and care to heal the sick, to restore the broken and to breathe life back into those who feel as if their life is ebbing away. You know, I think it's almost universally true that we don't get very far with preaching the gospel by provoking confrontation. In scripture, we're often exhorted to share the gospel with gentleness and patience. 
but with consistent care and persistent witness and continually speaking words of life to flickering wicks and bringing healing to bruised bruised reeds. <coughs> I believe we will find that the gospel finds great fruit. As you can see, um, my, I'm struggling a little bit with my throat this morning for obvious reasons. I didn't warm up very well before we sang. But I just have a little bit more honey and lemon and keep going. Okay, if you're following in a Bible, why don't you turn to Isaiah 11 now? Because one of the, going back to how the, the New Testament writers use the Old Testament, and then the, the great blessing we have of, of, of so many different translations where the different subtleties of the text and different ways of expressing things can be brought through. It really can, can help us understand what is meant by the phrase, in this particular case, in his name, the nations will put their hopes. So that's how Matthew uh, presents it to us. He's actually, um, like I said, from Isaiah 42, he's using one particular Greek translation of the scriptures to get that phrase. But that phrase will be in your Bibles or something very much like it in Isaiah 11, verse 10. And look at how the different translations i'm going to give you some different translations so first of all the christian standard bible so matthew says in his name the nations will put their hope the christian standard bible says he will stand as a banner for the peoples the nations will seek him the new living translation says he will be a banner of salvation to all the world the nations will rally to him the english standard version says he shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire the New English translation says he will stand as a sit like a signal for the nations. Nations will look to him for guidance. The New American Standard Bible says the nations will resort to him who will stand as a signal for the peoples. So where Matthew says his name, they will hope in his name. Here we're told um, that his name is it's, it's not just his name, but it's his name will be like a banner of salvation or a signal for the peoples. <clears throat> the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus on your lips when you share about him, when you share about his goodness, it's not just a name. It's not just a label. It's a signal. It's a sign. It's like a banner. It's like saying, come here. I don't know if you were, if you, when you're out walking in the streets, when we can do that sort of thing, when shops are open and people are advertising, they stick up a big banner and they want you to, to see not just the, the name, they want you to see something that's going to entice you to come, that's going to indicate there is something good for you here Jesus is like that times a million the name of Jesus it's a banner it's a signal it carries so much and it is essentially a proclamation of hope so where, where Matthew says they put their hope Isaiah says this the nations this is what it means to put your hope in him it, it says the, the nations will seek him they will resort to him they will inquire of him they will look to him to get for guidance. They will rally to him. Hope isn't a passive thing. You know, when we can show Jesus, when we can show the reality of his presence in our lives, when we can show uh, the, the, the veracity of the, his word, the faithfulness of his promises, the consistency of his love, 
of his goodness that never ends. It's like a signal. It's like a banner. It's like a neon sign that says to the world, here's something you can hope in. And people hope in him by um, seeking him. I want to find out more. We heard just a little bit there about the Alpha course that's going to start in a couple of weeks time. People are seeking out Jesus. Why not let them know? Here's somewhere you can find out more about Jesus. That act of seeking in itself is an expression of hope. People wouldn't come and explore and discover and, and, and check out and learn if it wasn't in the hope of something good will come from this. Not very small. But the more you see of Jesus, the brighter the sign, the bigger the banner, the more that you're drawn. You say, I want to seek more of this. I want to find more of this. I'm going to inquire of him. I'm going to find out about him. I'm going to look to him for God. You know, God's word works. God's word is spiritual law, like, you know, the laws of physics. It works. You can test the word of God. I don't mean you're testing God, but you can try it out. Do these principles of the scripture hold true? You know they will. And ultimately, I love the translation, it says they will rally to him. People will rush to Jesus when they can see him. And that's why you and I are called to be witnesses, those who reveal an authentic expression of what Jesus is like. People will rush to it. Now, I just, I don't want to give too much time to this, but I just want to address, I know, and I know I'm on, you know, social media like everyone else. I see some of the discussions um, and I just want to say to you, don't be dismayed by some of the frankly appalling representations of Jesus that are around in the world at the moment. The things that people do in the name of Jesus that I think God finds abhorrent. Uh, the things that carry the label Christian, uh, which to me seems the antithesis of what I read in the word of God. Um, some of those voices and some of those rep representations are quite loud and quite bold at the moment. And, and we could be dismayed by that. But I want to encourage you, don't be dismayed by that. Because the truth is always more powerful. The truth of Jesus, the true representation of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And if we live his life, then we will show his truth and we will sign the way to him. So if he is the way, the truth and the life, and he is, when we live his life and the Holy Spirit is in you to live the life of Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit is in you to do. When we live his life, we will show his truth. Your life itself will be a testimony to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of his word. And we ourselves become these signs, these banners, these signals that says this is what Jesus is like and people will rush to that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, some of you probably thought I was going to go here and I am going to go here. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 and 15, we read this. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you were blessed. Don't fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. If you're discouraged or if you feel like there's opposition, Peter, he says, here's the solution. Go to your heart and revere Christ. Come in the fear of Christ. Come in awe of him. Allow yourself. That's what we were doing as we worship this morning. Allow a vision of Christ to bring you back to a place of, an, of or being in awe of the greatness and the power and the authority of God. 
always be prepared he says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect you see peter expects here that when we live with a living hope people notice people see the difference hope is visible not the object of our hope not the goal of our hope that is by definition not yet seen but the fact that we live in hope a life full of hope is visible people can see the difference that's God's intention it's God's intention for our lives to look so different that they attract people's attention they are that sign they are and that's part of the name of Jesus the reality of who Jesus is being seen in the world a life that is full of hope is a life that is oriented towards the eternal hope always gives you a vision of the future always points you towards the goal one of the the greatest hopes we have is we know the end we know the end we may not know every last detail but we know the end we know that we are destined for to to be with him forever in, in a new heavens and a new earth where there is no sickness and pain where sin and death are done away with we know we don't know exactly necessarily how that will all come about but we know we're certain of that and a, and a hope-filled life is a life oriented towards the eternal. We have an eternal perspective. We realize that whatever is happening in the world, everything that goes on around us is temporary. But the relationship and the, and the story of the kingdom of God that we're part of is eternal. A hope-filled life, a life in which hope is visible, is one that is given to redeeming the time. Remember we talked about that a few times back in the autumn how we live our lives to make the most of every opportunity that we don't sit passively but we believe there is opportunity for the kingdom to come there is opportunity for redemption there is opportunity for healing there is opportunity to proclaim the gospel in every season and it shows in our lives when we live with that attitude and it's a life very simply that expects good it expects good it doesn't mean we only expect good here's the thing this is a this is this is a deception that will not help you is to believe that as a christian only good things happen to you and then when th good when when bad things happen to you to believe that that somehow is is a judgment of god or that you have sinned or that you are in 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 error to live a hopeful life is not to believe that only good things happen to you but it is to believe that god will show you good we sang didn't we about living in the goodness of god and we've got to be able to hold that tension you know peter begins this thing about sharing giving the reason for your hope with the context of suffering and opposition we've got to understand that the, the, the world we live in those things those things go together peter talks about suffering and he says don't be surprised he says don't be surprised if some as if something strange is happening to you in fact suffering comes because of the life you live the faithful life you live but when you experience suffering when you experience discouragement when you experience things that seem to knock you and buffet you because 
of your pursuit of God. He says, the spirit of glory rests upon you. So God, even in the difficult situations, will use them to ultimately work something good into your life. Psalm 4 puts it this way. Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their their grain and wine abound. Let me read that again. It's a lovely scripture. There are many that who say, "Who will show us good?" But lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Who will show us good? A hope-filled life says, I know God will show me good. I know he will make his face shine upon this. A hopeful life is lived from a place of knowing the joy of the Lord, which is beyond any pleasure or satisfaction that this world can offer. Think of the greatest things, even things you enjoy, things you enjoy as a Christian, because you can still enjoy the good things of the world. God put them there for you. Think of the pleasure you can get from some of those things. I don't know what it might be. It might be fine wine. It might be motorsport. It might be, you know, it could be, it could be anything. Um, it could be listening it could be going to gigs and listening to great music you think all of the things that the world can bring you pleasure but there is a pleasure there is a joy from God that is on a completely different level and he puts that joy in our heart because it's not created by the circumstance around us it's created by the connection the relationship the union we have with him in our hearts a hope-filled life is lived knowing that God will make his face to shine upon us. And we say, you know, who will show us good, but lift the light of your face upon us, O Lord. We know that he wants to. He sees us. Wherever you are today, God sees you. He smiles upon you. That's what a shining face is, isn't it? It's a smiling face. He smiles upon you and his radiant glory flows into our lives there's that line i know it's not christmas anymore but in silent night isn't it radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace just the idea of the face of god in christ being visible in the world but god's face shines it's towards you he smiles he shines he imparts his life and his glory to you he shows us good and a hope-filled life is lived in full confidence that God will continue to show us good and that we will live in his goodness. So live that kind of way. Live a life. Live a life that expresses that your net, your life becomes like a banner that says Jesus and reveals him and presents him into a world that needs to see him so that in him they will put his hope they will put their hope that they will turn to him that they will inquire of him that they will seek him that they will rush towards him <coughs> because of what they see of christ in you you and i making hope visible thanks for listening to this teaching from city church coventry you can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.